you know, like I always been a person that practice hours and hours, like very dedicated. And at some point I understood that it's not just about that. You know, if I really want to go to the next level, I have to overcome my fears. This is Brian Paris for Sounds of Berkeley. Jazz saxophone has been an almost entirely male domain. Look at any online list of great players and you'll be hard pressed to find a woman on it. But there's at least one woman's name that's starting to get mentioned. Melissa Aldana. The daughter and granddaughter of notable Chilean saxophonists, Aldana came to Berkeley on a full scholarship, and in 2013, four years after her graduation, she became the first woman and the first Latin American to win the Thelonious Monk International Jazz Competition. Aldana returned to campus this fall as a guest of the Berkeley Institute of Jazz and Gender Justice for a series of talks and performances. During her stay, she sat down with my colleague Kim Ashton and talked about winning that competition, how she stays on top of her game, and what inspired her latest album, Visions. Here's Kim with more. Well, Melissa Aldana, thanks so much for joining us at Sounds of Berkeley. Thank you for having me. To start off, I want to read uh, two quotes. Okay. From you. One is a quote that was something that you told me in 2013, right after you won the Thelonious Monk International Jazz Competition. And the other one is, um, it's on your website right now. Okay. So the first quote is, um, you say, even though I know that my win is a big deal because I'm the first one, I never felt different because I'm female. I felt I was competing with all those other great young musicians, and I'm just one of them. And you were the first woman and the first Latin American to win the Thelonious Monk International Jazz Competition. And then on your website right now, there's this. It's about your your latest album, Visions. Inspired by the life and works of Frida Kahlo, Aldana creates a parallel between her experiences as a female saxophone player in a male-dominated community and Kahlo's experiences as a female visual artist working to assert herself in a landscape dominated by men. So it sounds like you went from a place where your gender didn't feel like a major factor to one where you were recognizing and exploring the role of being a woman in a traditionally male field. Can you talk about what changed over those years? So, um, first of all, I like unfortunately I don't have much control over sometimes what is put on the website or you know it's a lot of things to be aware. So, I think that the like some words were taken in a different way of what I meant, you know. So the reason why I chose to write something inspired on Frida Kahlo, it didn't start because she's a female, you know. It started because. I think she's just an amazing artist, you know, and I have always been driven by her art and amazed, you know. So once I did a commission and I presented a suite, uh, all these things start coming like, oh, she's another female Latin American, you know. So that made me start thinking about identity, you know, and when I, like, who am I, you know. So this may sound a little bit contradictory, but when I'm playing, I'm expressing myself with my mind, with my experiences, like who am I? And being a female or a male, of course, is part of who am I as an individual, but it's not really the key factor of how I'm expressing myself, you know. And and another reason why I chose Frida is because I feel like she's an artist that really embrace who she is, you know, which, you know, being a female or the way that she looks, the accent that she have, you know, love of her, like family, she's very, um, she's very honest about who she is. And that is what comes into her art, you know, so that is the 
influence and the inspiration I take for her from her, you know. And it happens that she's a Latina and a female, and I happen that I'm a Latina and a female, you know. But it's not exactly about that. It's about like who are you as an individual and how you express that through art. And is there a particular song on your latest album, Visions, that was inspired by Frida Kahlo? Yeah, I mean, there is one that is called La Madrina, which means the godmother. Um, and this is kind of like a, it's actually my conclusion from a lot of things I read and my imagination, you know, some dreams. So um, when Frida had an accident, she was about to die. And, and you know, like she is in bed and then she sees a tunnel and at the end of the tunnel, La Madrina. And La Madrina uh, told Frida, she's like, if you leave, this is what is going to happen to you. You're going to meet Diego Rivera. You're going to go through this. Your pain, your body's going to be in pain, you know, like everything. But then you can choose to die and go to eternity and just, you know, be peaceful. And Frida chose to stay alive and deal with everything that was going through here, you know. So during Frida's life... You know, she had many times, um, she wasn't like almost about to die because of the injuries that she had. And every time this was happening or she went through something, you know, very painful, like an abortion that she had once, uh, lost a child. Um, sorry, lost a child. That's what I meant. Um, La Madrina will keep appearing and reminding her free that you can still die or keep living with the pain, you know. So that is that is the tune that is actually really inspired on on a story that I kind of got by conclusion and some other little pieces that I read in a bunch of places. So how did you express that musically in that song? Uh, you know, like the tune um, is very long. It has, um, it has like different sections. We describe kind of like Frida's life. You know, there is a lot of counterpoints. So there is a main melody that to me reflects the beauty of life. And that is what I'm playing on the saxophone. And then there is a bunch of layers of counterpoints of things that happen, you know. And I take that as, you know, Diego or like, you know, how was your day or a lot of different emotions. And and then there is a part on the, actually, I think that is probably on after 40 seconds or something like that, where everything drops and it's just the piano playing a very sad melody with the with the bass, you know, and that represents La Madrina coming to freedom and be like, you have to choose what you want to do, you know. So I, it's mostly like about feelings, you know. It's hard to express things um, because I don't have any lyrics. I'm just playing the saxophone, you know. So I usually try to explain the story and I'm trying to translate emotions into the music, you know. And I, I feel actually very proud of that one because I feel like I got the point across of what I wanted to do for myself. back to um, the Thelonious Monk competition. 
You said that you felt insecure after winning that competition. Can you talk about why? Because I got into social media and then I started reading everyone's silly comments and like MB and, you know, like it just made me for the... I, th- I think that I have thoughts about being a female. The first thought that I have was when I was at Berkeley and I went to Wallis and I went to a jam session and I felt so vibed out and I felt very vulnerable. And I remember I came back. I was, you know, maybe I was a little bit too sensitive. I was crying and, and I was like, oh, it's because I'm a female, maybe from Chile. And then, and then I told myself, I haven't traveled all the way from Chile just to go to a jam session and cry and why am I blaming my gender for it no I'm just gonna go and learn the music and go and play and if I don't know it I'm just gonna go like I don't wanna feel insecure just because of gender and I'm not even sure if it's because of that you know and that was the first thing and the way that I overcome the situation is that I went to Wallis every weekend and eventually ended up doing the gig a few times and, and it got to a point where I was able to play and I figured out that it wasn't gender, it was just my insecurities because I didn't feel strong with music. You know what I mean? And I wasn't able to play a tune or maybe play as fast as the rest, but it was never about gender. It was in my head about, I just have to go and practice and be strong, you know, and feel confident about myself. Even though there is, you know, inequality and there is a whole issue about gender and, you know, I I am aware of that, but I... But to me, I always wanted to make it about the music, you know, and I figured out that one of the reasons why I felt insecure is because I didn't know the the tune, you know. It's not because I was a female and they were doing something. I felt that, you know, so I put it on me. Um, and I became, that really helped me to become stronger, you know, and understand that it's just about music and play, you know. So just putting yourself in uncomfortable situations oftentimes really helps to overcome your own fears. And then when I... Won the competition, you know, even though it was on the newspapers, the only female that is in the competition, I didn't really thought about it. I just went there to try to have, earn some money and be able to do a living in New York and get some help, you know. Anyway, I won and a lot of people were mad, you know, and then the comments start coming like, oh, because you're a female, because this and this and this, you know. And and I just like kind of bothered me that I was like, well, Maybe I'm a female, so what is the big deal? But I still can play very strong. Like, I play in front of Bramford and Wayne Shorter. Like, I don't think that they will just choose me because I'm a female, you know? So I start, what bothered me is that I start thinking about this, you know? And it's just because I went into social media and people were mad or something, you know? And so that kind of, I I figured that that just made me insecure, made me start overthinking about what am I doing and made me start thinking like, oh, maybe I play different just because I'm a female, you know. And and it got to a point where I was like, no, I play like myself because I'm just Melissa, male or female, it doesn't matter. I'm just different, you know. And I, and I promised to myself that the gender thing, it would be something that I will be aware of and I will try to be a role model for younger musicians, you know, but it's not something that I'm going to blame for my own insecurities. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's interesting. You're struggling with the same insecurities, like you were saying with Wally's, that every other young musician is struggling with. Um, but then you have this layer of um, this gender identity thing where you're at first wondering if that's part of it, but then and then other people might be saying that that's part of why you won. So there's this whole other layer that you have to kind of struggle with on top of growth as a musician. Yeah, and you know, like, also I start... Like, I also started observing, and I wanted to be logical about it, you know. So 
every time I went to Wallis or Smalls in New York, like, everyone is vibing. <laughs> it's just a jam session. It's the way that it is, you know. And when I had a teacher at Berkeley and, you know, maybe he would be a little bit more hard on me, um, like I never wanted to think it's because I'm a female and he's treating me different. I always wanted to be treated the same way than everyone and just make it about music, you know, within having that kind of awareness, of course. What would you say was your most valuable experience as a student at Berkeley? Uh, you know, being from Chile, I think that I'm growing up around, just around elders, you know, like just being here and being around young musicians that wanted to do the same thing that me uh, from all over the world, you know, um, the playing a much higher level, you know, same level, whatever, uh, being able to to take lessons with people that I admire so much, like George Garçon, he was my dear, like, best teacher I ever had, you know, Dave Samtoto, Hal Crook. Um, so it doesn't matter what you do, but, like, just have a vision. Like, why are you doing this? And don't waste time. Like, practice good. Still party and go crazy, you know. We all do at college. I did, probably more than a lot of people. But just just do things well, you know, like, not half halfway because... The truth is that you finish Berkeley, you know, then you move to New York or you move back home, you stay here, whatever, and it's all on you, like, you know, so whatever you're doing right now is not to finish Berkeley, like, nobody cares, it's for you. So really spend the time and do things right. I want to go back to something you just said about um, putting yourself in a challenging environment. You've mentioned this before, too, that you like to put yourself in uncomfortable and challenging situations, and that's one technique you use to grow. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, like I always been a person that practice hours and hours, like very dedicated. And at some point, I understood that it's not just about that. You know, if I really want to go to the next level, I have to overcome my fears, you know. And the fear, and I think that is the fear of a lot of young musicians, is like playing the wrong note, you know, or sounding bad or not sounding killing or whatever that means, you know. So for me, going to Wallace also was a way to, like, grow up as a musician, you know, just like, why am I afraid of, you know? And if I really want to become free, a free artist and being able to just speak and express myself, I have to put myself in a comfortable situation to understand that it's not about what I'm playing in the moment, it's about the bigger picture, you know, like what is my message, what I want to say, you know? So I think that... The ego and overcoming the fears is one of the things that you have to do if you want to keep moving and growing, you know? Do you still do that 10 years later, 10 years after Berkeley? All the time, Mm -hmm. all the time, you know? Like, I still wake up early and do my long tunes and trying to learn a tune. I still, like, suffer, like, trying to be there and practice and trying to incorporate something. Um, I play sessions, you know? I try to write tunes. Like, I'm constantly pushing myself because... You know, I have the chance to to travel and to play with my band and all these opportunities that they wouldn't mean anything if I'm not trying to do something meaningful with it, you know. So it's just what makes me full, my soul full, and it's my purpose, you know. You've said that sound, time, and ideas are the three most important things for you as a musician and a saxophone player. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, sound is, um, is your voice. You know, sound is a conclusion of information that you gather your whole life, you know. And 
um, then time, time is, you know, sound and time are concepts, you know, and it's something very personal. It depends on how you feel it, you know. So it's not about practicing with the metronome and it's not something that you can learn at Berkeley or any other institution. It's something that you learn through listening, transcription, information, influences through life, you know. And then ideas is, yeah, how you express yourself, how creative are you are with all the information that you gather, you know. And, and through the years, this is these are the three things I hear in every musician I love, not just jazz musician, you know, pop musicians or rock, like everyone that has a strong identity has that, has a sound, has uh, like, you know, personal time feel um, and then personal ideas, you know. So that are these things that are always more imp the most important for me, like the basics. And I feel like a lot of like young generation, it's easy to forget and wanted to move forward faster because also it's a lot of information that we're receiving every day, you know, like we have access to so much music, you know, it's so many great saxophone players, so many things to check that it's hard to really go back and be like, I have to work on my time and on my sound. And if the foundation is strong, that's what is going to allow me to be free. Another technique that you use that you've talked about um, to make yourself better is that you practice playing like somebody else and you get to be so good at this and then you try to forget it. Can you talk a little bit about this this technique? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's mostly transcription, you know. Um, so, you know, like I think that you can't really... So, so for me, it's important to have people that I admire and that I can identify with because I feel like it gives me a sense of direction of what I want to be, you know, or where I want to go, where is my taste, you know. I don't think there's such a thing as a good sound or bad sound or good playing, you know, like everyone is personal. So by having somebody that I look up to and I try to imitate, it helps me to understand a little bit myself, you know. And also it teaches me about, like, when I transcribe and when I'm trying to imitate somebody, I'm trying to transcribe how that person is thinking, you know, so that's what I'm doing more than like the actual notes. And that's why it's a process of a good two, three years to like really get into somebody's brain and be like, oh, I get it. But then it gets to a point where you get all the information and, you know, that person is that person. Like I'm different, you know. So it's another process of where you try to forget everything. And then through years, uh, through all the information, you know, like, as a saxophone player, I check out all the history of the saxophone player and other instruments, you know. But then what I do with that information is what is become is when the thing becomes deeper, you know. And that is when people, that is when you move forward. Mm -hmm. You yeah. sort of absorb it on this really deep level and you're able to incorporate it with um, your own ideas. Yeah, I just think that there is like these are things that can be explained, you know, like it doesn't matter with who you study, like you can, you can explain this, like how somebody thinks, you know, how somebody develop ideas, you know, and, and it doesn't matter how hard you practice, like it's just something that you learn by listening and imitating and absorbing, you know, and I, I put, always put the example of when you're a kid and you listen to your parents say chair and table and you just kind of start absorbing information and then you speak on your own, you know. So I look at it at the same, at the same way, you know. But I always also tell my students, this is the way that I learn, you know. And this is the way that a lot of people that I admire learn. So it's not the only path to achieve it, you know. But, but it's something that's always been very helpful for me. Speaking of early influences, your grandfather, Kiko Aldana, was a saxophonist. And your father, Marcos Aldana, was a saxophonist. He... 
he gave me a tool that is very important these days, you know, and that is what I'm trying to always talk to the students about. It's like the love for the process and, and doing whatever you want in the highest level, you know, like not taking shortcuts, you know, like having a deep understanding of how much it takes to achieve things in life, music, law, or whatever, you know. And my dad gave me that tool, you know, that if you sit down and work hard and you really spend time on your instrument and trying to master every little step and be patient, you can get somewhere, you know. And then when it comes to music, um, I was really strongly influenced by Parker and Cannibal and, and John, Johnny Hodges and Fieldwoods in my early years, you know. And then I heard Sonny Rollins, and then I got into Michael Brecker, Mark Tanner, you know, Chris Potter, um, Seamus Blake. And then I started going back slowly. You know, I went back to Joe Henderson and then to Jimmy Forrest, Gene Emmons, Lucky Thompson. And, you know, so I had a lot of influence. But I think that my three... Like, my four strongest one is uh, Don Bias, uh, Sonny Rollins, Martani, and Lionel Hampton on vibraphone. And what are you listening to these days? I've been listening to a lot of um, Spinetta. He's a um, rock singer songwriter from Argentina that I'm in love with, you know, for many years. Uh, and I love that he, the way that he writes a uh, song is very lyrical, it's very uh, I can hear poetry, you know, and that's one of the things that, like, I'm trying to, I'm aiming for when I'm improvising, you know, like, how can I tell a story rather than just automatic pilot and play, you know, like, how can you connect ideas and think as somebody that is painting in a way, you know. And then I've been listening, like, I usually always check out, like, the latest album from people that I love. I love Steve Lehman. Uh, he has an album with Great Tavern uh, that I really love, and my... Um, um, Matt Ruber and Damien Reed, I think. Um, and then Miguel Zanon. You know, I've always been a fan with him. I was playing with him, actually, um, at the Chicago Jazz Festival, and he just released a new album called El Sonero that is really beautiful. So that's what I've been checking out. And what is your next project? Next project, um, I'm playing at the Village Vanguard 2021, so in two years, and it's kind of like a big deal for me. I found out this um, like a month ago, and, you know, I just got so emotional because that is kind of, it's like the dream for a jazz musician living in New York, you know. And I already have the band in mind. It's going to be with Lagerland, um, Sam Harris, my, my regular band. So right now I'm just mostly writing music. And the idea is to recall in September next year and present the music there. So that is mostly like a lot of practicing and just focusing on composing and like growing as a musician mostly, you know. Thanks so much for joining us today, Melissa Aldana. Uh, thank you so much. That was Kim Ashton with Melissa Aldana. For more information about Aldana, including tour dates, visit melissaaldana.net. For more about the Berkeley Institute of Jazz and Gender Justice, go to berkeley.edu slash jazz dash gender dash justice. This episode was recorded by Tony Brown in partnership with The Burn and engineered by Brandon Bachajan. Our theme music is You Made Me by Sleeping Lion. I'm Brian Paris, and this is Sounds of Berkeley. <laughs>